Good morning, college football land. It's another wonderful Saturday here in September. That means there's college football, and that means that we're bringing you the tailgate. CampusToCanton.com here with you. We've got six of us this morning, a packed house, uh, and we're going to talk to you everything you need to know about today, about fantasy, about your fantasy lineups, about DFS, about betting. We're going to hit you with all of that here in the next hour and a half. Gentlemen, Good morning, good morning. Smiling faces. Looks like everybody's had their coffee, their breakfast, their morning workout, I'm sure. Yes, yes. Felix, you look ready. Oh, man, we just been talked for uh, two hours on Better Sports Network. If you don't know, you should be tuning in 10, 10 8, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Download the Better Sports app, and you can hang with us pretty much all morning, except for a 30-minute window between 10 and 10.30. I mean, you could talk to us for for all Saturday morning. Yeah, that's our quick restroom break time there, that, that half an hour that we get in the middle. Um, and I think the union uh, demanded that we get that that time. All right, guys, uh, we've got a lot to talk about. So enough uh, with, with the small talk. We've got a couple of games that happened already this week. Matt, I want to come over to you here first. Uh, two games last night that really have any sort of implications for us. Uh, Boise State, New Mexico. I don't know we care so much about New Mexico, but Boise State won this one. And a couple of guys, I mean, we there's some stuff to talk about here, right? Yeah, I mean, it was a, I won't lie, boring game. I was having more fun watching some of the high school games. But Boise State does win 31-2-14. Uh, Hank Bachmeyer looked at least a little bit better in this one. He, he didn't get benched. He ends up going out there and throwing for 170 yards. He does get three touchdowns passing the ball, but nobody really stood out in the receiving side of things for me on Boise State. Who did stand out was our guy, Ashton Jeansy, who is actually more productive on the ground than George Halani, who ended up getting more carries. Halani had, I believe, about 20 carries. Jeansy just got 12, but for 72 yards, did get two catches for 27, ended up finishing with 11 fantasy points if you ended up having to start him. Halani, did, again, did get the majority of the carries with 20, but only got 67 yards on the ground, did get one of the receiving touchdowns. Uh, they just don't look like the Boise State of old, if we're being honest. Uh, that offense does not look exciting, not a lot of fun to watch. I did want to mention one player, though, on New Mexico's side of things. Maybe a guy to watch list. I don't know a guy that you want to go pick up, and I honestly don't know how to say his first name, so I'm just going to call him Mr. Porter. But he actually looked good at times in that game last night. Did get 73 yards and a touchdown, four targets, two receptions, 15 fantasy points. Again, a guy I'm not like running to the waiver wire to pick up, but maybe a guy you watch list. If he's going to be the guy that they uh, target a lot. Jordan, is that how you say it? Jordan? That's what I I didn't want it to be. be I didn't want to be like It's just Jordan. Jordan. That's see, that's what I thought it was, it's and I, I thought like I was going to be an idiot if I was like Jordan Porter, and then they're like, "Yeah, it's," and then they're going to be like, "No, nah, it's G Jordan." Like, oh, shit. So yeah, I uh, <laughs> guy that I would definitely watch if the Lobos' offense is going to flow through him on the passing side of things, but overall, not really a great game. Yeah, they they put that one late for a reason, so everybody could go to bed beforehand if they uh, if they didn't uh, <laughs> didn't want to stay up for that one. The other game that happened last night, guys, UCF Louisville. Uh, Louisville wins this one 20 to 14. Um, they got down early and kind of was a comeback for them, but but uh, kind of a similar story for both both teams here, actually. And let's start with Louisville since they were the victors. Malik Cunningham, uh, real big stinker week one. We said, can he rebound here week two? 14 for 29, 201 yards passing. Didn't throw for a touchdown, but did kind of save the day with a long uh, rushing touchdown there, uh, 121 yards and a touchdown on the ground for him. Um, beyond that, there wasn't a lot of, you know, fantasy relevant type performances there for them. Like you said, no, no passing touchdowns to the receivers, you know, Tyler Hudson led the way three catches, 67 yards, 
Uh, Amari Huggins, Bruce had a couple of catches for 40 yards as well. March on Ford, uh, three catches for 38. So not not a ton of uh, massive performances there. Tyon Evans, it is notable, 19 carries for 75 yards and a touchdown for him. Left this game early with an ankle injury. Uh, and then uh, came back and, and and got the workload back there. But something to monitor maybe for next week, uh, see how that ankle is looking. Uh, Jalen Mitchell was the guy that stepped in uh, when he went out for a few snaps. Um, UCF side, guys. Um, John Reese Plumley for as great as he was last week, uh, he was about equally bad this week. 16 for 34 passing, 131 yards, uh, no touchdowns, no interception. Uh, again, those 83 yards on the ground. Um, this is a kid that um, he struggles to, to, to pass the ball consistently. Let's just be frank. I think teams are going to be able to succeed against UCF when they can get them into situations where they obviously have to pass um, because they just can't really do it. And they don't have a ton of great receiving options there either. I mean, Javon Baker uh, led this team this week, five catches, 84 yards. Um, they didn't really throw the ball to uh, Ryan O'Keefe at all. He had four receptions for eight yards. They used him a lot around the line of scrimmage, a lot of like sweeps, um, you know, other kind of like creative ways to get the ball in his hand. But he didn't really do a ton here. Isaiah Bowser, the other notable guy here uh, on the day, 15 carries, 51 yards, uh, two touchdowns. The game started off really well for him. He had two touchdowns in the first like 12 minutes of this game. I played the over on his rush prop last night on prize picks. That hit about 10 minutes in, then I could go to bed. So that was very, very nice of him. Uh, didn't have, didn't, uh, didn't uh, destroy me for today. So just all in all, not a great performance from either of these teams, but a big one for Louisville, who 0-2, I mean, at halftime, we were talking about firing head coaches, how much is it going to take to go get Brom from Purdue, and so on and so forth, uh, and, and it looks like Satterfield lives to see another day. All right, guys, that's what's happened so far this week. Let's start getting you ready for what's going to happen today, and we're going to kick that off with our main data guy, Jarek. Let's head over and see what Jarek's got for us this week. When you just don't understand the numbers, it's time to dive into the classroom with the beautiful mind, Jarek Backus, and By the Numbers. Welcome to By the Numbers, where I'll be taking an analytical approach to answering one question each week. This question, I'm giving my thoughts on Will Levis versus Anthony Richardson. Who will be better in college? Who will have a better draft slot? And ultimately, who would be more successful in the NFL? Some background. Will Levis seemed to be the draft Knicks darling after last season. He and Wandell Robinson were an explosive duo, and his passing tools look like his main attraction. He's a senior standing at 6'3", 232 pounds, and was a three-star prospect coming out of high school. On the other hand, Anthony Richardson's buzz started growing throughout the offseason, and his main calling card is his athletic ability. He even came in at number 50 on Bruce Feldman's freak list. He's a redshirt sophomore at 6'4", 232 pounds, and was a four-star prospect coming out of high school. Let's see who will have the better college career. Per our CFF rankers at Campus to Canton, Jared, Nate, and Chris, Anthony Richardson is QB 15 and Will Levis is QB 30 this year. Richardson should have the better college career from here on out based on his skill, situation, and talent around him. Something to keep in mind is that since Will Levis is a senior, he has to declare this year. Anthony Richardson has the opportunity to stick around in college for two more years after this year, so even if the NFL gives him a bad draft grade, he can still contribute to your college side for a while. Looking into the NFL, who has the better draft outlook? Right now, mock drafts are pretty much split on who's going to be drafted first, so I can't make any decisions based on that. Next, I want to compare them to average QBs drafted in the top 15 picks. The average profile for a top 15 selection is 6'3.5", 220 pounds, and had four stars as a recruit. Their size is basically a wash, so we can ignore that. The recruiting pedigree favors Richardson, 
who is a four-star prospect versus Levis, who is three. The metrics I like to look at are QBR for overall performance, rush yards market share, and games played to show how they can contribute on the ground, and adjusted yards per attempt to show how good of a passer they are. Using the average QB's best college season, we see that they are usually a decent rusher with 16% rush yards market share, have a QBR of 84, and an adjusted yards per attempt of 10.2. Will Levis's best season sits at 14.5 rush yards market share. This is below average. 76.8 QBR, below average again, and 7.7 adjusted yards per attempt, way below average. I need to see a QB excel in either passing or rushing and Will Levis just hasn't done either yet. Anthony Richardson's best season sits at 26% rush yards market share, way above average, a 6.6 adjusted yards per attempt, way below average, and he has no QBR in his first two years due to low sample sizes and a 94.8 QBR so far this year. It's a promising start, but not nearly enough data to act on. At least he excels in one area, but boy does he need to improve in his passing this year to be a dual threat QB. If Anthony Richardson declares for the draft this year, I see him earning the higher draft capital due to his athletic ability and teams taking a chance on that upside. Who will have the better NFL career for fantasy? QBs who went on to post a top 5 NFL fantasy season had one big difference versus just top 15 selections. They earned a 21% rush yards market share in games played in their best season. This is a whole 5% higher. The other stats like recruiting pedigree, QBR, and adjusted yards per attempt stayed relatively the same. This tells me that if I want my QB to make a difference on my NFL roster, then Anthony Richardson is the obvious choice. His upside, if he can develop into even an average passer, is massive. All right, guys, we have Barnabas uh, Lee with us, one of our draft guys. Uh, he does uh, some weekly work. Uh, highlighting different matchups across college football that are interesting to him. Uh, and he has another one fired up for us here this week. This is Barnabas Lee with the marquee for week two. This week, we're talking Alabama at Texas. Quinn Ewers made his debut last week, and it went about as expected for a first-time starter. Ewers sets the ceiling to how successful the Longhorns can be, but Bijan Robinson sets a high floor to Texas's prospects this season. In 2021, over a quarter of Bijan's rushes resulted in first downs, breaking 79 tackles on 195 carries and averaging the seventh most yards after contact among starting running backs. He's not a receiving threat, seeing less than three targets per game last year, but he doesn't need to be with the receiving core that Texas has put together. At six foot and 220 pounds, his quick decision-making complements remarkable contact balance. Henry Toto, on the other side, is one of the headiest defenders in all of college football. While he wasn't gifted with freakish athleticism or hulking frame, he always does just enough to find his way to the football faster than anyone else on the field. His feel for the game is apparent in the pass game as well, as he drifts into passing lanes preventing throws his way. There are plenty of bigger and faster linebackers in the game and in the draft, but when it comes to players that coaches can trust, Henry is close to the top of the list. This is an interesting matchup between physical and intellectual. Toto's ability to diagnose and mirror offensive plays will inevitably lead to a number of collisions with Robinson throughout the game. Robinson has a tendency to bounce off tackle runs, as evidenced by less than 20% of his production coming from those gaps. Toto will have to play with even more anticipation than usual, so that even if he misses the tackle, he can hold up Robinson long enough for help to arrive. Toto is best in coverage dropping in his zone, but that won't be necessary against Robinson, whose average depth of target is only one yard. 
We will see if being in the right place at the right time is enough to stop the RB1 in the 2023 draft. Uh, we're going to head over uh, to Corey's Debbie Sesh real quick before we do that, guys. I do just want to mention two injury updates. Uh, uh, Rocco Griffin is out for Vandy today. Um, so I, the producer in my ear is saying that it is Raymond Davis season. Uh, and then Caleb Hood running back out for UNC as well. Um, all right. So let's, let's kick it over to Corey here with some of the Debbie guys that he's looking at here today. Corey Prairie here from the Campus to Kent and Devi team. All that excitement of week one is behind us, and we're on to week two. Let's go. Now, the biggest thing I'm going to be watching this week is Michigan quarterback J.J. McCarthy in his first start against Hawaii. Now, this is a guy I've maintained being pretty high on, even though the community seems to have soured on him a little bit. I'm looking at UC2C team. But anybody who watched this team last week knows that this team is ready for a new quarterback and that J.J. McCarthy gives him the best chance of winning right now. Now, when he goes in there and lights up Hawaii this week, there's no way Michigan is going to be able to go back to Cade McNamara. And I'm going to be victory lapping so hard that I'm going to need a wheelchair for the next week. And I don't even care that it's Hawaii because this is just the beginning. Now, if you followed me for a while, you know that I kind of have a thing for Boston College wide receivers, A. Flowers, and to a lesser extent, Phil Jerkovic. Both these guys started the season super hot in 2021 before Phil Jerkovic got injured in the second game, essentially derailing both their seasons. Now, he may not be the strongest player on the field, but I'm not sure there's a more elusive player than Zay Flowers is in the open field. And quarterback Phil Jerkovic kind of gives me some Carson Wentz vibes, some of the good, some of the bad, so we'll see if these guys can kind of continue their comeback tour and improve their stock heading into the 2023 NFL Draft. Now, one of the best games of this weekend is Texas versus Alabama. You've got Saban versus Sarkeesian. You've got Bryce Young versus Quinn Ewers. You've got Debbie Prospects on either side of the field in this one. Now, truth be told, Texas is probably going to get dusted in this one. But nevertheless, it's still going to be interesting to see B. John Robinson go up against this defense and Quinn Ewers go up against this Alabama defense. I do want to see if Xavier Worthing kind of bounce back from a quiet start in week one. Uh, this passing game kind of seemed out of sorts. There really wasn't a clear-cut option, um, except for tight end Jatavian Sanders, who is honestly my best bet to be tight end two in the 2024 class behind Brock Bowers. Now, another thing I'm going to be watching is kind of this comeback tour being led by the forgotten guys of the 2023 running back class. You know, I'm kind of talking about the guys that everybody's written off. I'm talking about EJ Smith at Stanford. I'm talking about Jalen Berger at Michigan State. And I'm talking about Eric Gray at Oklahoma. All of these guys look pretty damn good in their first appearance of the season and should all continue to be pretty polarizing prospects heading into the 2023 NFL Draft. Now, I'm going to go a little bit deeper here for this last one and take a look at some of the developments going on in the quarterback room over at Liberty. Now... Charlie Brewer, the starter for, at the beginning of the season, is going to be out for six to eight weeks with a hand injury. Uh, he injured himself last game, and for anybody who watched that last game, uh, they ended up bringing in Jonathan Bennett, uh, the guy who was number two on the depth chart for now. Uh, he came in, uh, passed for under 50%, threw two interceptions. He ended up getting pulled, and lo and behold, who comes in? Kind of a sleeper in the Debbie community and in the C2C community is a guy by the name of Caden Salter. Now, this is a former high four-star Tennessee recruit who kind of had a little bit of a reputation of being a little bit of a knucklehead off the field, and he ended up getting dismissed from Tennessee, which is why he's at Liberty now. But he clearly brought a spark to this team, uh, played well when every other quarterback was playing inefficiently, and ended up leading the team to a quadruple overtime win. Now, he's a bit small at 6'1", 190 pounds, but this guy could honestly be a perfect dual threat replacement for Malik Willis in this offense. But all right, guys, that's going to do it for me. Hope you guys are all enjoying the games. Hope you guys are all winning those C2C matchups as well. And remember, every Friday, you can catch me and Mike Valerie on the Back to Debbie podcast only on the Campus Canton podcast feed.
It is college fantasy tonight. My hands are still shaking from all of the action around the country today in college football. I mean, you had Notre Dame go down. You had Texas A&M go down. Anthony Richardson stymied by Kentucky. We're going to get to all of that. But before we do, let's drop this video a like, subscribe, like the video, subscribe, like the video, help us grow this channel, this format. Our, uh, this fantasy format, Campus to Canton Leagues, we want to see it grow. But we start every college tonight presented by scan.com with the rundown, and that is where we're going to start tonight. Of course, with the 12 o'clock game, uh, Alabama survives Texas 20-19. to 19. Alabama was a 20-point favorite in this one. They only win by one, Matthew. When you Looks really good early on. I think that this game could have played out a little bit differently had he been healthy throughout. 100%. I, I, I posted on Twitter, and I truly mean this. If Ewers plays that entire game, I think they win. And I honestly think they win by at least a touchdown, if not more. Started out the game looking good. 9-12, 134 yards. Ends up not with any touchdowns or interceptions. But if you were watching that game, you saw that, unfortunately, Xavier Worthy dropped a couple balls, including a deep pass or a deep pass that he lost probably in the sun. And then he did drop a touchdown pass. And in my opinion, he should have caught with him going out. He, he got drove into the ground. Unfortunately, I believe it was by Will Anderson. It may have been by Dallas Turner. I can't remember which one it was exactly. It was Dallas Turner. Dallas Turner gets driven into the ground. Uh, we don't know the extent of the injury yet. There's hopefulness that it's only a sprained AC joint. Rumor was he was able to actually rotate his arm after the game. But we don't know for sure. Hudson Card does come in. Doesn't look horrible, right? He, he, he actually looked, I felt, fairly good as the game went on. Ends up 14-22 for 158 yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions. But he also gets banged up in this one. Gets pulled down. Looks like he has some kind of ankle injury. Still guts it out. Had a couple big runs to keep Texas in that game. Xavier Worthy, just 97 yards again, should have had a touchdown, ends up dropping one. And, I mean, Bijan, what else can we say about this guy? 57 yards on the ground and one touchdown. Doesn't sound like a lot, but 73, yard, 73 yards receiving yards. Every time this guy got the ball, it felt like Alabama was meeting him in the backfield. He was making defenders miss, going through defenders. He had, in my opinion, an incredible, ga incredible game. I think he solidified himself. If anybody had any question about how good he was, he solidified it today against one of the best defenses in the game. But we have to talk about He had a nice catch right. down the field where he had to control oh, yeah. his body and reach back for the yeah. ball. Uh, the, the type of stuff you want to see from a potential Dynasty 101 pick next year. Yeah, he, he looked amazing. But let, let's talk about Alabama. They were the team that won. I'm going to save Bryce Young for last. Jace McClellan, surprising game here. 97 yards, broke a big touchdown run that, that put Alabama up. It looked like all of a sudden, uh, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, oh, here comes Alabama. They're, they're, they've finally gotten into the game. Texas scared them a little bit, but no. Texas ends up hanging in there. Jameer Gibbs, though, has another good game, in my opinion. Only the 22 yards rushing. They're not using him there. But 74 yards receiving touchdown, had a nice catch that ends up giving them the lead before Texas comes back in and, and takes the lead later in the game. The wide receivers here, Trayshawn Holden, Ja'Cory Brooks, Kobe Prentice, none of them do much of anything. This Texas defense that was horrible last year really seemed to bounce back and have a good game here. But Bryce Young, the stat line doesn't look sexy. Let's be honest, 27-39, to 39, 213 yards and one touchdown. It does not look sexy at all. But his run in the fourth quarter where they had a free blitzer on him 
In my opinion, Texas wins that game if he makes that tackle. He misses. Bryce Young finds a way to duck under the tackle, runs for a first down, solidifies them into field goal range. They end on going on, kicking the field goal, winning the game. I almost, I know it's crazy to say, and it's not going to matter because we've got all season to go and it's, it's week two. That was a Heisman moment right there. I mean, this was a tough game. That Austin, I know we were talking about it in our midday chat, and he mentioned that's like the Auburn moment, and I 100% agree with him in that. Like, that was a massive moment for him, massive moment for Alabama. Congratulations. Bryce Young has a free uh, edge rusher coming at him no, from it was the front safety. side. For, it was the safety. Oh, he, safety. They completely missed him, and he came right off the outside, yeah. From his front side, it looks like Bryce Young sees him late, ducks down like a cat, uh, like a cat. Safety goes right over the top of him. Uh, Matt, that fourth quarter was really pivotal for Alabama, of course, the game-winning drive. But it seemed like in the second half, they incorporated Ja'Cory Brooks a lot more. Now, three for 33 doesn't sound like a lot for him, but when you consider where he was on the depth chart to start the season and where they uh, implemented him in this season because they had to get the offense going late in that game, I got to wonder if this is a similar transition or turn like it was against Auburn last year where Ja'Cory Brooks played a, a huge role in that game. It, it definitely could be, and I think a lot of that goes into the fact that Tyler Harrell has been out. Doesn't seem like he's coming back anytime soon, so Ja'Cory Brooks is likely going to continue getting snaps. We just need to see him continue to impress because Nick Saban has been very vocal about the fact that he has not been impressed with a lot of these guys. But I, I do like that, uh, the fact that he was a little bit more used in there. I actually thought he caught that touchdown that Jameer Gibbs caught at first as well. So used a lot more in the second half. Let's see if that continues over into next week. And I should point out, as, as the people are saying, Ohio State really cost Texas this win because uh, the safety that missed a tackle on Bryce Young transferred from Ohio State. So we're sorry, Texas fans. <laughs> well, we're going to be paying attention to who's backing up Hudson Card next week and possibly for the next couple of weeks if when yours is going to be out for an extended period of time. Got to pick the candidates for that backup job are Charles Wright, the redshirt freshman, and then Malik Murphy, four-star quarterback freshman this year, went to the same high school in Gardenia, California, that Tom Brady went to. So it'll be Malik Murphy, toolsy, uh, 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 big-arm quarterback. I would love to get to see him at some point if Texas finds themselves in a blowout and they need to take Hudson Card off of the field. Matt, of I mean, course, you also... I can tell you right now, we talked a little bit about this in our midday check, and I'm down here with a lot of Texas people. That's who they wanted to come into the game at one point. They said, get Hudson Card out, put Malik Murphy, and I told them that is a bad decision, but we'll see if it happens. Well, of course, you also covered uh, Ohio State. Ohio State takes this one down 12 to 45, but Ohio State fails to cover. They're a 44-point favorite, fails to cover uh, against Arkansas State, Matthew. But we saw C.J. Stroud, Marvin Harrison and company get on track in this one. Yeah, and it took a while, too. It took about four minutes left in the second quarter before Ohio State really started uh, rolling. I, 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 I can't imagine this has that much to do with JSN, but we'll see if, if anything changes when they come back. I think... There's a lot of people asking questions about this offense, and I think they're very fair. I, I don't. We talked a lot about it this morning on the Better Sports Channel. Uh, me and Moxley, I don't think they deserve to be put in the same tier as Alabama and Georgia right now. But C.J. Stroud does put it together from the second quarter on 16 to 24, 351 yards, four touchdowns, three of those going to Marvin Harrison Jr., who had himself a day 
seven receptions, 184 yards. Amekic Buka, not, not not too shabby either. Four receptions for 118 yards and one touchdown. You know, we, we wanted to see what this offense was going to look like in a what we expected to be a shootout, and they did at least perform that in the third and fourth quarter, I believe. Most of them actually ended up sitting some in the fourth quarter as well. So. Ameka Buka also adds a, uh, a a rush for 27 yards. Yeah. Productive yeah. both cases of the game. Yeah, he was he was used all over the place, which is which is always intriguing to see for for him. Travion Henderson as well had a, a pretty good day, eighty-seven yards, ten carries, no receptions though, and I don't know if that's just because of how well Mecca and Marvin Harrison were doing, but does get to two touchdowns. Um, you know, surprisingly, your boy Mayan Williams just forty-eight yards. I don't know what was going on there. Is it probably tired from carrying the team last week? Is probably what was going on there. So we gave him a rest against the lowly Arkansas State. But yeah, it was uh, it was good to see that offense finally kind of click into gear here, but. They have tough matchups coming down the road in, in Wisconsin and some other teams, so we'll see what this means for them. For the purposes of CFF, I think we need to pay attention to Champ Fleming on Arkansas State. He had 10 catches, 105 yards, and he also had two rushes for 20 yards in this one. That's after having 122 yards and a touchdown last week. So Champ Fleming, maybe consider if you're in a deeper league, maybe picking him up, at, least, at the very least putting him on a watch list. All right, thank you, Matthew. Brings us Washington State, Wisconsin. Uh, this was one of my favorite games to uh, to watch today, quite frankly. You're talking about two teams with two totally, completely different styles. You got Washington State coming from the Pac-12 with the new uh, uh, offensive coordinator with Cameron Moore, Cameron Ward. They were 17 and a half point underdogs in this one and they take it down 17 to 14 Barnabas it wasn't pretty but Washington State got it done in this one yeah for sure you mentioned how they have such differing styles and the question of going into the game was which one is it going to revert to because both teams can't play at totally different styles the entire game and we found out it was going to be Wisconsin style, where it's just slow plotting. And that Wisconsin offense is built to be like that. Uh, some interesting notes throughout the game. Each team had an interception that was fumbled back to the offense. Um, so that just tells you how physical of a game this was. Um, but it was just like back and forth. Washington State got on the board first. But um, the crucial fumble in the fourth quarter is what led to the to Washington State winning. Um with Wisconsin driving, they had four drives of over five minutes that just like didn't result in points. They just, um, it was either a turnover, turnover and downs. It's just, a, it was just a mess. Um, and both touchdowns that, uh, Wisconsin scored went to the tight end. Um, but it was kind of a disappointing day for Braylon Allen. For some people, um, he had 21 carries for 99 yards, um, as well as two catches for 12 yards. Uh, he just couldn't get it much going. Uh, Washington State was just selling out to stop that run. They showed they weren't really scared of Graham Mertz, so it was, uh, it was, you know, it was tough sledding for Braylon Allen. Graham Mertz, on the other hand, 18 for 31, 226 touch, uh, uh, yards and one touchdown. Um, you know, Graham Mertz is not the best quarterback prospect that we have in college, right? So, uh, you know, this was honestly about as good, well as good as we, ex we could expect from him. Um, but it is what it is, right? Uh, going over to the other side, Washington State didn't really have it that much easier either because the because uh, they their style is, you know, air it out and pass it all over the place. And They had uh, to be Cam very Ward patient had, today. Take, you know, yeah. take what the defense was giving them. They had to do some long drives in a, in a spread system. That can be um, uh, difficult to do because every pass has to be completed. But it seemed like they were able to get it going so in the second half. We needed a few big plays to come uh, to, to make it over the top of this one. 
Absolutely. Uh, if you look at the time possession, Washington State only held the ball for a little over 20 minutes. It was not even close to. So in some sense that Washington State was able to play their style a little bit, um, but like had to tailor to the game script. Cam, Cam Ward had a decent stat line if you look at the numbers, but it wasn't really a passing day for him. He went 17 of 28 for 200, uh, one touchdown, two interceptions. Um, and he, he, he got a decent uh, amount of rushing, but a lot of sacks as well. You know, physical game overall. Uh, Nikia Watson and the, the Wisconsin transfer um, contributed most on the ground with 11 carries for 34 yards and uh, one touchdown, as well as a catch for 31 yards. So, you know, tough sledding for him as well. Not a lot of yardage available and what little yardage he could get. Um, we're at, I guess we're adding Jalen Jenkins to our watch list, uh, the true freshman um, with a decent day as well. Explosive, then, uh, smaller player who yeah. the, the, uh, the coaches seem to like there. Had a fumble last week. They still gave it to him. And they gave it to him in some critical situations uh, in this one. After Nakia, Nakia Watson has to be a, a senior. He's been in college forever. Um, yeah. Jalen Jenkins is going to be someone that we want to pay attention to, especially in a spread system. We've seen, remember the name Booby Gibson. Remember, uh, oh, I forgot the running back last year, the, the white guy. I forgot his, his name. But um, uh, they've, no, Booby Williams. James Williams was was the uh, running back there under Mike Leach at, at, at Washington State. And I'm forgetting the, the, the guy that they compared to Christian McCaffrey. Anyway, Max Borgie. Um, this Max Borgie. Thank you. Thank you, producer, saying it in my ear. Um, Jalen Jenkins could be pr a productive player in this system. He's a little slight, but um, in a spread, that's probably not too bad. But go ahead. I'm sorry, Barnes. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's, a, he's a nice little jitterbug tool that they can use. Um, and the receiving core, you know, relatively quiet day for them. Uh, John Stribling, Renard Bell, Donovan Ali, all, all fairly quiet days. Um, John Stribling, three catches, 16 yards. It, it was not a passing day for Cam Ward, even though he ended up with, uh, you know, 200 yards. It was spread over many receivers, considering Stribling, Bell, and Ollie combined for 10 catches. So, uh, you know, it was, it was tough plays sledding, in this but game, they got it out. Yeah. Yeah. The important plays in this game weren't big plays. They were uh, third and fours and getting a, a rush, a run for six yards, a quarterback sneak here. Uh, the, the big, a big play was Nakia Watson's 30, 31 yard reception. So, Washington State. Hats off to them. That's not easy going into Madison, getting a W with a totally different play style. Barnabas, you also covered Oklahoma or Kent State at Oklahoma. A lot of upsets today. So, uh, you know, you had to be on upset alert. Kent State doesn't get the upset, but they were a 32 and a half point underdog, three to 33. Oklahoma does not cover. Um, but uh, uh, Dylan Gabriel and Karen Barmim. Had a good day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, this score at halftime was three to seven, and that was after Oklahoma scored a two-minute drill touchdown. This was this, uh, and also after Kent State had missed a field goal. So this game could have been going into halftime six nothing Kent State. So uh, you know, this Kent State really hung in there for a good amount of time until uh, Oklahoma finally decided that they were gonna they were gonna pass the ball in the second half. Uh, the first half was really rough because they just couldn't get the running game going and it, they just kept forcing it uh, no matter how few yards they got out of it. And, you know, I, I kept making the comparison. They, they they finally stopped trying to make fetch happen in the second half and they, they finally got that passing game going. And that's what opened up the running game. Um, Dylan Gabriel had a pretty decent day at the end of the day where uh, he had 21. He was 21 for 29, 296 uh, yards and three touchdowns. Uh, no interceptions. Really good day. 
But the fact of the matter is most of that production actually went to Marvin Mims, who had seven of those catches for 163 yards and two touchdowns. No, Marvin Mims was practically uncoverable um, with that Kent State secondary. They just they just couldn't touch him. Anytime Gillen Gabriel looked off the uh, Dylan Gabriel looked off the safety, Marvin Mims was just wide open running downfield. So uh, he was just running all over there. Uh, Oklahoma ended the game with four running backs with uh, f- more than five carries, um, but the total rushing yardage was 134 yards. So they were not they didn't see that much success on the ground. Um, and it was tough sledding for them. Um, on the other side, on the other hand, in the first half, Colin Schley for Kent State actually looked really good. He had some crucial runs, and he he had this uh, one play where he was rolling to his left and just darts that thing to a receiver uh, on the sideline. Um, he finishes the day 11 of 19, 131 yards. Uh, the stat line doesn't show it, but he he looked confident, and you know this is the reason why Kent State schedules this murderer's row of a uh, early season schedule for them. Uh, so, um, tuck those had- Penn State players, tuck them away for right now. Uh, Maxion is coming around, and we're going to be starting Colin Schley, Marquez Cooper, Dante Cephas. That time is coming soon. Absolutely. Marcus Cooper, this is how tough the day was. He had 22 carries for 55 yards. Now, that's not efficiency, but he it was just a physical up front. Um, at one point, he ran straight into both of the Oklahoma defensive tackles unblocked, and uh, the commentators were joking that it was 605 pounds worth of man just stopping him from running up the middle. So uh, it was a rough day for him, but Dante Cephas also had uh, four catches for 50 yards. Like, like you said, we're, we're there. This is where they cut their teeth. And then it's going to be uh, good, good times when matching rolls around. Absolutely. I, th- I got to point out, you know, off the top of my head, I think that Marvin Mims seven for one sixty three and two. I think that that's the most productive game he's had in his uh, career that uh, there at Oklahoma. He could have entered the transfer portal and potentially gone to USC. Sticks there at Oklahoma. He's obviously Dylan Gabriel's number one wide receiver. Got to consider him to be, you know, day two, day three draft capital in there. You got to like that if you've got him in camp. At the very least. Yeah. That brings us to a game that I was – there are a lot of games on the slate today that I was looking forward to. Texas Tech, Houston at Texas Tech was one of them because you got to figure these are two teams – that run the spread. Uh, we thought that we would get a lot of points, but Vegas had the over under at 65.5 and they nailed it. They nailed the number. This game was 33 to 30. It, it took overtime. It took overtime to get uh, to get to the 30s. Austin, no Tyler show. Donovan Smith takes the reins for him. Clayton Toon, Nathaniel Dell and company. How did they look today? Yeah, uh, you discovering uh, the fringes of betting this season is the best development that's happened just completely. I just want to throw that out there first off. Um, yeah, uh, a lot of us picked Houston this morning. Pretty even matchup here. Uh, Texas Tech pulls this one out and, and looked pretty good doing it. Um, this game was kind of like the equivalent of like when your parents said that you can't eat dessert for every meal. This game was like so fun that it ended up getting kind of rough at, at the end, quite frankly. Donovan Smith um dual threat guy you know really not what we think of as a zach kitley type quarterback at all uh we wondered how this marriage would look today 36 for 57 for him 351 yards passing uh two touchdowns uh and had three interceptions actually and then 28 yards on the ground as well kind of all over the place at times but locked in when it really mattered he rushed for the game winning touchdown in overtime um and would like I said, was really, really good when it really, really mattered. We'll see if he keeps this job as the season goes on. They keep saying that Chuck is going to be back within the next three to four weeks. 
So that this is basically an audition for him. If he plays like he did today, turns down the you know the bad plays 5, 10, 15%, I think they can live with the kind of upside that he gives him where they drove the field at the very end of the game to tie this thing like quickly. Like they he he brings an element here that just no other guy can. So really, really interesting game from him. And we'll see what he does over the next couple of weeks. At running back there, Taj Brooks had himself a decent day for how this game kind of flowed. Uh, 18 carries, 80 yards, had a touchdown, uh, a handful of catches, and 34 yards through the air. Uh, and was definitely dangerous. So we, we've talked about Taj Brooks a little bit over the past couple of years. The guy that's been there uh, for a couple of years now. Um, but I think he's an NFL back. I really, really do. And I think if this offense commits to the run he is a really intriguing guy against some softer defenses that they might come up against in conference play uh receiving wise jaron bradley was the big name last week a lot of targets this week but not a ton of catches six uh six receptions 50 yards for him and red zone targets he's gonna have better weeks Jaron bradley is that dude he seems to be a, a guy that you have to consider starting despite a uh not that great of a performance this week yeah, yeah, I just think you, you might not be able to expect what, what he got for you last week, which is like 30-ish fantasy points. That, that you know, th- those weeks may not, may not be every week here. Miles Price, the guy that we thought would be the guy in this offense, uh, five catches, 78 yards, and a touchdown today. And then Nehemiah Martinez. I flat out, if you gave me a list of names and you said which one of these guys is like not a college, like I I, I never would have picked this guy out. I, I just flat out never heard of him. But, but Smith liked him. He threw him in, in crucial situations a couple of times, had a really nice touchdown grab, kind of a stockier, um, like slot kind of guy. I thought it was Taj Brooks when he made the first catch. Like he he's kind of built like that. So a uh, really, really interesting game to watch. Don't go at him or anything unless it's a super deep league. But just make a mental note, Nehemiah Martinez, a guy to watch out for here. For Houston, Clayton Toon, not his best day. 20 for 39 passing. 268 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Um, and quite frankly, if he was a little bit better, Houston probably would have run away with this game. They just couldn't sustain drives consistently. And I think a lot of it was due to his inconsistency and Texas Tech's pass rush definitely uh, got to him at times there. Uh, all offseason, Alton McCaskill goes down with a knee injury. We say, who can be the next guy up there running back for Houston? We, we think we like the guy that's in that spot, Brandon Campbell. Running back transferred over from USC, kind of part of the the shuffle, the movement there uh, on their roster. 16 carries, 80 yards, a touchdown, had four receptions as well. Looked really, really good. I believe he left this game late. Uh, So it's going to be interesting to monitor injury-wise what's he look like for the next couple of weeks here. But he looks sharp. I I think he's definitely a guy that I would be looking into acquiring if I'm thin at running back uh, as a cheap option. Nathaniel Dell... The guy we all expect to lead the charge he, there. He, seven. he did what he does. Yes. Yes, exactly. Seven catches, 120 yards. Uh, very successful kick punt return guy as well. Uh, had, a, had a nice day there. So if your league does return yardage, uh, you're probably pretty happy with how he did. And then Matthew Golden, quiet all game. One catch, 10 yards going into overtime. Caught what looked like it could end up being the game-winning touchdown uh, in overtime. A little, like, bubble screen that he's reversed field. Went totally back across the formation. 15-yard touchdown. Um and looked right at home doing it. So uh, good signs there for him. Uh, Houston, obviously, probably going to drop out of the top 25 here. Any uh, aspirations they had of a big-time postseason play, probably over. But we got a really good game out of it. So no complaints for me. No complaints in that one. A lot of points scored in USC-Stanford. We just went uh, live following that game. Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison and company. I mean, they are firing on all cylinders. This was supposed to be a tough matchup, 
didn't turn out to be that way. No, uh, Stanford, not much more than a speed bump here uh, for USC's mighty, mighty offense early in the season. 41-28 the final. It was not that close. This was like 48-13, I believe, at one point in, in the second quarter, and USC just kind of uh, coasted from there. Caleb Williams, uh, the guy that we all, you know, this offense goes as far as Caleb Williams can go. 20 for 27 on the day, or 18 for 28, sorry, 100, and that's not correct. Uh, 20 for 27, 341 yards, four touchdowns. Um, really, really nice day for him. He was efficient. We talked all last year about how Bryce Young was very zen as a passer. Like, he just looked way too comfortable, quite frankly, out there uh, uh, as a pass rush bears down on him. Caleb Williams has kind of developed a very similar feel to him as he's back there. A lot of times during this game where he was just in total control. And you can tell he's in total control. Very, very comfortable running this Lincoln Riley offense. Future number one overall pick. I mean, if you had to pick the odds on that, I I would think that you could get some good odds on that. That's a bet that I would make. I'm sure. I mean... Ewers looked good today, too. What am I going to say? We'll see what he looks like from his shoulder. We need a bunch more games. But, uh, but yeah, Williams, I mean, he's he's definitely looked the part here early in the season. Uh, I can't really say anything bad about him. Uh, his receivers, we've kind of talked a lot about Mario Williams, about Jordan Addison. Both of us kind of have personal stakes. And both those guys, I think Addison ended up being the big guy today. Seven catches, 172 yards, two touchdowns. The first couple drives were basically just Addison and Caleb Williams playing catch. And when they <laughs> want to do that, it's like impossible to stop it. Like he he's open deep, short, intermediate. Like it just will just at his own will just gets open. It it, it honestly was it's a lot of fun to watch. I, I miss him obviously leaving Pitt. Um, but uh, but I think he made the right choice at this point. Mario Williams, your guy, four catches. 74 yards, really nice touchdown from him as well. Uh, both guys dangerous, um, and I think you know both set for big seasons here. Uh, on the rushing I, side, I think things- I still owe you from last year on a Mario Williams bet, so we got to figure that one out. Oh, I don't even remember what we bet. Pride, I don't even probably. Yeah. That's that's what I'd prefer to bet. Um, <laughs> we we talked a little bit this offseason. Who's going to be the running back here for USC? And just to note, Travis Dye ended up being that guy uh, here today. 14 carries, 105 yards, and a touchdown. And then uh, Austin Jones, much more inauspicious kind of game here from him. Eight carries, 38 yards. I think Rayleigh Brown had like five for 22. Um, but but it was very obvious it was Travis Dye. He's the guy they wanted to get it to, and he looked the most dangerous uh, out of their group. So I think if you're trying to add a USC running back, Dye is the direction that I am headed there. Uh, and quite frankly, I'm avoiding all the other receiving options. Just none of them are consistent enough, uh, at least early here beyond Addison. And Williams for Stanford... I mean, Tanner McKee, I got a lot of hype this offseason, potential first-round guy here. 20 for 35 on the day, 220 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions, um, running for his life uh, a lot of this game. Unspectacular. I, I I don't see the day one hype for him. Quite frankly, I think day two would be a stretch based on how uh, I, I've seen him play. He's an older prospect as well as Barnabas was talking about before the show. at 23, 24 years old, so... Not a direction I'm really heading uh, if I'm trying to, you know, make some quarterback moves here this year. Uh, his weapons, EJ Smith, Matt's guy. Matt said, start EJ Smith today. Matt was right. 19 carries, 88 yards, a touchdown on the ground. Added a receiving touchdown, uh, a couple of catches for 26 yards there. Injury. I can't couldn't tell if it was hand, if it was wrist, what it was. Uh, uh, he fumbled on, on close to the goal line, lost the ball. They showed him doing some work on the sideline. They were testing to see if he could hold on to the ball. Came back out, 
got hit very similarly, fumbled again. They took him out for the rest of the game. So that's going to be something to monitor. I'm not sure exactly what their situation is going to look like behind him, if they're going to have a guy to lean on. Um, but but Smith kind of faltered down the stretch there. And then Ben Urasek, really their only receiving option of note, at least as of right now, uh, had a really nice rush in the first half, 50-yard rush, and then five catches, 45 yards. Uh, no touchdowns, but that's a pretty good day for a tight end. You're probably happy with that. Awesome. We gave you a couple of games where points were scored. We're giving you one more. Uh, Tennessee at Pittsburgh. Tennessee uh, favored by six, and they were able to cover in this one 34-27. Hendon Hooker, uh, uh, Cedric Tillman looked good in this one. Yeah, the announcers talked about it. It was totally true. This was they, These two teams played last year. The script was literally the exact opposite. Tennessee last year hopped out to a 10-0 lead. Pitt roared back, took the game over, uh, and then kind of pulled it out at the end. This year, Pitt jumps out to a 10-point lead. Tennessee comes back and then kind of holds on at the end. Uh, Hooker, going to get a lot of accolades for today, rightfully so. Uh, didn't play that great in the second half, but when it mattered, he came up pretty clutch. 27 for 42 for him, 325 yards, a couple of touchdowns, uh, about 30 yards on the ground as well. And really importantly, someone him, who no John Lobb, John Lobb, friend of the show, Alfred Fernandez, friend of the show. Oh, well, uh, uh, Alfred Fernandez, co-founder here. I gave it to Kenny. Um, uh, <laughs> very high on, on Hendon Hooker. I'm laughing because I don't even know if I can call Alfred a fr- friend of the show. Cause he'll never, I was going to say, I would call him co-founder well, of Kent, Kent more than I would call him. <laughs> I don't know that he's a friend of the show. So uh, anyway, they're, they're those two very high on Hendon Hooker. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You can see why. I mean, older guy, he's got his warts, but but when he's in sync with some of these guys, he does look really, really good. And that hypo offense, uh, obviously, is pretty quarterback-friendly, as we've seen over the years. Uh, running back-wise, Jabari Small, Jalen Wright split most of the groundwork that didn't go to Hooker on the day. Uh, Wright had nine carries, 47 yards, uh, no touchdowns to speak of. Small, really inefficient on the day, 10 carries, 17 yards. Two touchdowns saves him, though. So if you're, uh, you know... If you're a hooker owner, probably not so happy because you were kind of hoping maybe hooker would punch something in. Uh, didn't happen. Uh, Small did that. Maybe next week. Receiving-wise, Cedric Tillman, like you mentioned earlier, is is the guy here. There, there's It's like Nathaniel Dell, like we talked about earlier. It's like Addison at, at, at USC. These are the guys that drive these offenses. Cedric Tillman, nine catches, 162 yards, a touchdown, and the touchdown was in overtime was a big one there for him ended up being the winner uh jalen hyatt uh pretty heavily targeted on the day actually but it weirdly like we think of him as a deep guy all short stuff 11 catches 73 yards no touchdowns uh chris k uh burning the red shirt dfs uh, contributor here with us camp canton uh brew mccoy brew mccoy stand world's biggest brew mccoy fan four catches 58 yards his first touchdown with the Tennessee Volunteers. So shout out to Brew McCoy. Shout out to Chris K, who I'm sure is very happy somewhere, possibly a few beverages deep. Uh, just tears of joy streaming down his face. My Pitt Panthers, on the other hand, not only did they lose this game, they lose a lot of they lost a lot of guys too. A ton of players went down with injury, both sides of the ball, offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, quarterbacks, Keaton Slovis harassed all through the first half, ended up leaving with an injury. 14 uh, for 24, 195 yards, one touchdown, one interception. I've given Keaton Slovis a lot of crap over the years. In fact, I've probably been one of the biggest Keaton Slovis haters. <laughs> he hung in there today. He hung in there today. He was getting the crap beat out of him. So actually, big shout out to him. Kept him in this game this first half. When he went down, Nick Patty came in. Nine for 20, 
numbers aren't great 79 yards one touchdown uh, and obviously uh, a couple of, of goofs and in, in overtime there that that may have cost them the game but also drove them down the field for the game winning or the game tying touchdown and quite frankly basically was playing on one leg by the end of it and was really really good it was a very gutsy performance from both of those guys so shout out to slovis and patty we said israel abanaconda is dead after last week a very hyped running back there pit this is his third year on campus out touched last week out gained last week blah 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 rodney hammond down with injury and he showed why we still think he can be a lead back 25 carries 154 yards and a touchdown on the ground um uh, a, a catch 21 yards as well he was very dynamic and for large stretches of this game he was the offense um so really good performance from him and i think this is going to be hot hand for the rest of the season if hammond comes back and can be healthy i think just whatever guy's looking good that day it's gonna be frustrating for us fantasy owners uh receiving wise not a lot of great performances gavin bartholomew had a really nice touchdown though a hurdle to defender uh went about 60 yards to the house ended up having five catches 84 yards and a touchdown there and then jared wayne seven receptions 82 yards and a touchdown for him Kanata mumfield we got to start showing a little bit of concern for Kanata mumfield he was not great last week a couple of really big drops this week uh, including one in the end zone i believe early in the game i i'm just curious to see if he can you know overcome some of these early season issues he's having there was this step up too much for him i don't know i don't know Lots of fantasy-relevant performances in this one. Gavin Bartholomew probably drafted to be a starter at tight end. Hendon Hooker, Cedric Tillman, hopefully you have them stacked somewhere. There were not a lot of fantasy-relevant performances in this next one. Uh, Iowa State at Iowa. The over-under on this game was 41-and-a-half. I guess when you got Iowa involved, you got to smash, smash that under 10-7. to uh, Iowa State takes this one. I think it was the first time in the last eight matchups, something around there, where Iowa State takes it. Hunter Deckers, very frustrated in the first half, was throwing into coverage, threw two interceptions. He was 25-38, just 184 yards, uh, one touchdown, two those two interceptions. Was much better in the uh, second half, taking what the defense was getting him, converting on third on third down. Xavier Hutchinson, you think of him being a big play guy, somebody who gets touchdowns. He did score a touchdown in this one, but 11 98 uh, So doing some intermediate stuff. Drill Brock, 100 yards, but just on uh, 27 on 27 carries. His average is less than three yards, or less than four yards a carry, but was getting what you needed. Not a lot of offense in this one. Iowa's offense is historically terrible. Historically terrible. They had less than 150 yards of total offense. They scored seven points in two consecutive games. Their biggest plays of the of the day were 11 yards and 15 yards, and I think that that was on the last drive. Uh, Gavin Williams, a player that I was gravitating towards in the offseason, just two for 10 in this one. I don't know if he's totally healthy yet. LaShawn Williams, who some were gravitating towards as being uh, the, uh, the starter and the guy who would carry here, 14 for 34. This offense is historically, historically bad. I have no idea how that's going to change. I'm glad that Iowa State gets the W and get to remain undefeated. We're going to see them on the big stage later on, the Big 12 schedule. Hunter Deckers and Xavier Hutchinson, they will have better days. Cartavius Norton pulled up with a hand, hamstring injury in uh, uh, last week, in week one. Drill Brock gets the majority of the carries here. Cartavius Norton's going to come back healthy at some point, and he's going to eat into Drill Brock's 
uh, workload. No, no question. I mean, he was there getting the early touches in, in week one. So I expect him to be back healthy and to, and to have a role like we've thought all offseason. That brings us to Kentucky at Florida. This was Florida was favored by four and a half. Kentucky ends up taking it by 10, 26 to 16. Anthony Richardson, after the game he had last week, was wholly, wholly ineffective, seemed confused, was throwing into coverage in this one. 14 for 35, 143 yards, which quite frankly is Anthony Richardson has those types of games. But he only added four yards rushing in this one. They were dropping eight, keeping him in the pocket. Four carries, six carries for uh, for four yards. Did not look good. The Florida offense didn't look good. He still got some development to do, especially especially when when they're going to play drop eight in. He's got to learn that he can sit in the pocket, that he's going to have time when you only got three rushers. So we'll see uh, what happens. His Heisman campaign takes a bit of a dip tonight on a game game uh, number 20 versus number 12. A lot of people were watching that game to see if Anthony Richardson could continue with his carrying of the Florida Gators. Couldn't do it uh, tonight. That brings us to Will Levis. Now, of the two, Will Levis had the better day, but still just 13 for 24, 202 yards, one touchdown. Cavassier Smoke adds 14 for 80. But Dane Key, true freshman wide receiver, uh, may have had the play of the game in this one on a 55-yard touchdown on a post row, boxes out the corner, goes up and high points the ball, brings it in between his legs, touchdown, they reviewed it, They uh, the play stood. Man, uh, Kentucky has some freshman wide receivers that are are not to be trifled with. I think people knew about Bar- Barry and Brown, but Dane Key, Dane Key uh, uh, is, is playing very, very well. So that is the rundown. Uh, make sure you tune in next week as we cover week three's slate of games. That brings us to the G5 Minute. Again, every week with game creative lead Hannah Page on all the action. And there was some doozies today. There were some doozies, uh, some upsets of G5 upsetting Power 5 teams. So let's take it to Hannah. Hey everyone, this is Hannah Page with the G5 Minute. Each week, I'll bring you highlights specifically from the group of five, as well as major G5 producers for the day. Enough about Georgia and Bama, you want to hear about Marshall and App State. There were some early concerns about Marshall being without running back Rasheen Ali, but I think Kalen Laburn has definitely proven himself. He's had back-to-back 100-yard-plus games, and today he had 31 carries for 163 yards, 5.3 yards per carry, and one touchdown. And a highlight-worthy play with 7.19 left in the fourth quarter, Laburn hit a hole, ran for a big gain of 42 yards, and broke some ankles along the way. The next three to four games will be real favorable for Marshall and Laburn, so if you have him, you may want to consider starting him. Next up is Tulsa wide receiver Juan Carlos Santana. I'm not sure we are putting enough respect on his name. Last week, he had seven receptions for 102 yards and one touchdown. Based on some previous seasons, he has that ability to be a big yards after catch guy. 
Right now, Tulsa leads Northern Illinois at halftime, and Santana has four catches already for 87 yards and two touchdowns. And in that same breath, maybe we need to start watching Tulsa in general. I know that sounds crazy. In week one, quarterback Davis Brin went 30 of 52 for 460 yards, 8.8 yards per pass attempt, and three touchdowns. Right now, again at halftime, he has 146 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. I mean, yeah, they aren't a real flashy team, especially when you put them against Cincinnati, SMU, or Houston, but there's plenty of other games where they could shine. Moving on, I know that there were some concerns about tight end play or lack thereof when Western Kentucky played Austin P. Week 0. I think that was a hasty reaction. The tops are on a bye week, but in week one against Hawaii, Josh Simon was targeted three times and had a 47-yard catch in which he drugged several defenders for a touchdown. During that same game, Joey Belgian had a catch for 19 yards. I'm not privy to the game plan, but I wouldn't be surprised if they are conserving these guys for the Indiana game. I mean, you've got to think about the fact that Simon is returning from injury. If you have a chance to beat your first Big Ten team ever, it's going to happen only with the help of your best, healthy playmakers. I do think they play a much larger role the rest of the season. To round out the segment, I'm going to choose my play of the week as well as the game of the week. For play of the week, I'm going Laburn's 42-yard run, which primed the herd to score and go up 19-15. It was an awesome play itself, made even more special considering just last year he was in junior college driving for Uber and I believe working at a lumber. And for game of the week, I can't pick just one when Marshall, App State, and Washington State all beat ranked teams. Games like those are what make football fun. Well, at least fun to ardent group of five fans, I guess. So that does it for the G5 Minute. Until next time. Make sure you follow Hannah at HannahLay91 on Twitter. That's H-A-N-A-L-E-I-91 on Twitter. And we follow Barnabas. Uh, and his tracking of the NFL draft. Uh, Barnabas, there's a lot of places that we could start with this conversation about the 2023 NFL draft and our check-in with you. I think I have to start with Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, A little bit of tension on Twitter today about whether or not he's a better prospect than Jackson Smith and Jigba. What's your take on that one? Yeah, so there was a lot of uh, uproar because Dane Brugler from The Athletic tweeted that uh, if Harrison was a member of this draft class, he would be the best wide receiver. He would be wide receiver one. And granted, uh, the top of the wide receiver class this year is a little bit shaky now that, you know, JSN's been hurt for a day or two uh, or a game or two. Um, And Keishon Boutte, who knows uh, how he's really going to, you know, uh, shake out throughout the course of the entire season. Um, obviously he has some like attitude things that some coaches don't like. And so, you know, it, we don't know how the top is going to shake out. So I don't think that's an unfair statement to say. 
Um, I've been saying since for months now that uh, JSN has this weirdly long torso and short legs that make him look like he's waddling. And I think scouts are going to sour a little bit on JSN throughout the evaluation process. Once they turn on that tape and they go, why does he run so funny? Um, so I don't think that's an unfair statement to make. Uh, I, I, that's not to say that Jason is not a good receiver. He is a good receiver. He produces a whole lot and, uh, and he will be one of the first dra receivers drafted. He will be in that first group, but I think they're answer the question, answer it. Yeah. Uh, right now I think Jason is a better prospect because he has the production behind him. But, uh, if Marvin Harrison had that extra year of experience, implied by him being in this draft class then i think he would be uh the better prospect um so i know that's a that's a cop-out answer but uh <laughs> that's where i would stand on that listen i've had questions i've asked questions myself about jackson smith and jigba who is predominantly a slot wide receiver and you usually don't see these slot wide receivers being able to move outside but a perimeter guy could potentially move into the slot well, Marvin Harrison Jr. is very much a, per, uh, a perimeter guy, and we saw him win a number of different ways today. He went he went over a cornerback for a touchdown in the end zone. He ran after the catch. I mean, he beat somebody deep, got a lot of separation. So we saw him be very, very versatile today. And, I, you know, Austin has been on Marvin Harrison Jr. He's never said that he's better than Jackson Smith and Jigba, but he has said after the season he would be widely considered as the wide receiver one in Debbie in C2C. And, you know, we're on a trajectory where there, that is absolutely Absolutely going to be the case. Let me get to some of these upsets today, uh, Barnabas. Again, one of my uh, uh, one of my favorite games to watch today was that Washington State game against Wisconsin. Cameron Ward, we consider him to be a potential NFL quarterback. What have you seen from him through two weeks? What have you What did you see from him today that uh, informs your answering of that question as to whether or not he's an NFL quarterback? Um, frankly, I don't know that any of our questions have really been answered. So the first game was kind of rough. Um, and it played out the way it did. This, this game was a little bit different in that he started really rough and then looked a little bit better as the game went on. Like, like I said earlier during the rundown, it wasn't a huge passing day. He had 200 yards total. Um, and none of his receivers particularly was consistently winning their matchups or anything. But that being said, he was finding receivers in the right spots. And so there is something to be said about uh, coaches, especially in the NFL, loving those guys that uh, get just enough yards to get that first down and move the sticks every time. Right. That's why Brian Robinson's evaluation was so good coming out. Um, so there is something to be said about that. I think we need to see more. Obviously, now that we're seeing real competition, um, he needs to put good tape down. And while today was encouraging, it wasn't necessarily good tape. So we still definitely need to see more. Um, but I, I, from Washington State, I really want to talk about uh, one of his linemen, Jarrett Kingston, who plays left guard for Washington State. I think he's, I think he might be a draftable guy. Um, he's like a technician. Um, he's, he has to play in the phone booth. He. Um, in that he's developed over the years a good technique. He keeps his head on a swivel um, and he knows what he's supposed to be doing. Um, a lot of the times his measurables and his physical traits hold him back from actually reaching that. Yeah, he's kind of a lean forward type of guy, so he can only really move forward. But teams will love the fact that he knows what he's supposed to do and that a strength and conditioning program in the NFL can get him to where he needs to go, I think. Let's move on here to Marshall, who gets the victory over Notre Dame today. Uh, another upset. 
They've got a cornerback there that you think is is going to be drafted, and he has NFL bloodlines. Yeah, we talk about NFL bloodlines, and they're so important, right? Marvin Harrison Jr., EJ Smith, Emmett Smith's son, you know, who his father also had a little bit of fumbling problems, so it's funny uh, that – you know, those things come out in genetics as well. Um, but Stephen Gilmore, <laughs> who everyone's heard of by now because of the highlight, because he got that game ceiling pick six at the towards the end of the game, um, is the younger brother of, yes, you guessed it, Stephon Gilmore, uh, which I guess there's a fair amount of age gap there. But Stephen Gilmore is uh, has similar measurables to Stephon, so it's that kind of interesting. Um, Stephon obviously went to South Carolina back in the day. Um, yeah, and uh, as Austin notes, the parents were very creative with names, essentially naming the two the same same name. Um, but anyway, uh, St- Stephen Gilmore is kind of like a uh, he's a solid corner. He's like six one, six two ish. Um, with so I can imagine he probably has like. 31, 32 inch arms, which is, you know, which is really what we mean when we say long corners, right? It's not necessarily the heightest of the wingspan that we look at. Um, so it'll be interesting for him. Um, he, he needs to leverage his physical traits more in that he needs to increase his play strength and, um, be able to actually use his length in a lot of catch point situations and stuff. But it, you know, that's, those are things that are definitely available to be, uh, to be, uh, developed in the NFL. We are showing love to some of these G5 teams that upset Power 5 teams by noting their uh, potential NFL draft picks. Let's move on here to App State. App State, who uh, upset Texas A&M today. Who do you like there that could potentially be an NFL draft pick? Yeah, so uh, App State's kind of interesting. We, we've we seen them the past couple of weeks. They've really been – they played UNC close last week and were really, really quite close to actually pulling that one off, right? Mm-hmm. Um I first thing I need to note is I need to find some tape on Nick Ross. I do not have an evaluation on him, the safety for App State, uh, but he led the team in tackles today, and I need to find some tape on him because he was just kind of everywhere. Um, but the person I want to talk about is Nick Hampton, who's the edge there. He's uh, like 6'4", 240, um, which is which is light. It it is very. Uh, it, it's, he's, he's kind of like this, uh, a little bit of a shades of like Amari Barno from last year from Virginia tech. Um, who's also the edge, um, in that they're, they're almost pure speed guys. They're going to run and chase. They have one, basically one move in their toolbox. Um, but it, he does that really well. And so I think we could get some, uh, higher end day three draft capital out of him. Um, and, uh, I know it wasn't originally on the sheet, but, uh, Georgia Southern just upset Nebraska. So maybe the Scott Frost, uh, era is coming to an end a little bit. Um, but one person I do know uh, from Georgia Southern is, uh, Derek Canteen, who's a corner there. He had six interceptions, six interceptions as a freshman. That's absolutely bonkers. I'd even got playing time, but as a true freshman, he had six interceptions. He's a real ball hawking catch point type of corner at five foot 11. And, uh, you know, five eleven is roughly at that spot where you want guys that are scrappier. They have inside outside versatility at that point. So um, at five foot 11, 190, I think he has a good build that is going to project probably in the slot in the NFL. But uh, you want those ball hawking guys in, in there. And so he has a good build and he has really good uh, ball hawking as evidenced by the production, it's not just traits we're projecting here. Um, we do need to monitor his health. He was held to only two games last year um, due to a torn pec, um, but it, it'll be interesting to monitor. And if he can continue his production throughout the whole season, he might he might declare early c- coming out. Uh, Barnabas, my, my audience is going to kill me if I do not bring you back to offense. Evan Hall 
Oh. <laughs> I don't think that there's a running back that has that has um, elevated his stock in the C2C community, in the Debbie community, and maybe in the NFL draft community than Hall of Northwestern. Absolutely. Evan Hull was uh, largely his valuation told us he was a kind of power back that had a little bit of shiftiness, but he was going to work well in power and zone systems, which I, I know sounds contradictory, but um, he, he, he can smash it, but also hit the hole that he's supposed to, which is, which is, you know, uh, that vision, it, it translates to most systems, um, which is why I say that, but 14 receptions today, 14, that that's just, I, it, it's unspeakable in terms of, especially in big 10 play running backs don't get that kind of receiving uh, production in the big 10 and Evan Hull got 14 receptions today. And that just like is, is such a boon to his evaluation because that raises him almost maybe half a round, maybe more just because he adds that dimension where we didn't know that he had that in his evaluation until today. Uh, Barnabas, we appreciate you. You can follow Barnabas at PKGB on Twitter. We'll see you maybe next week. Appreciate you, man. All right, let's bring the panel in here. Let's bring Matt and Austin back, the original Debbie debate crew. Um, guys, Alabama gets the win, but I'm worried about who you can start at Bama outside of J uh, Jameer Gibbs and Bryce Young. Who are you starting beyond those two through through, through ne next week? No, it's just Bryce Young and Jameer Gibbs. You really want to take a shot on someone? I'm fine just throwing Trey Sean Holden in. He seems to be the most consistent out of all those wide receivers. We had nobody. It's it's not looking great. I think they'll get it together. Probably in like four weeks, we'll be like saying whether as we talked about earlier during the game uh, game recap, maybe it's Jacory Brooks. Maybe Tyler Harrell comes back from injury and looks good, helps be that deep threat if that's what they want to use him for. I'm sure we'll be talking about a wide receiver, but right now it's just Jameer Gibbs. And you're starting Jameer Gibbs, but man, that touchdown bailed him out today. You weren't feeling great until he caught that. Like, it's just not looking good right now for these guys. Offensively, they're not in sync necessarily yet. Austin, is Matt right? Is it just Gibbs and Young you're starting and you're kind of playing wait and see with the rest of these guys? Are we even starting Bryce Young on a week-to-week -week basis? Like, he didn't have a good fantasy week this week. What did he score? Like 17, 18 fantasy points, I believe, if you're playing in somewhat normal scoring. I know some of these college fantasy leagues can get a little wonky on what you're scoring exactly. But there might I want to see him against an SEC defense because I tell you what, I we didn't think Texas was going to be good defensively this year. They were flying around today. But I also don't think they're an SEC defense. Like I, I don't think they're on that level. So I, there might be weeks here. I mean, like you said, I think in four or five weeks we look back, they'll have gotten it together. I think they're too talented not to do that. But there are just so many question marks here. And the other problem is, it's an embarrassment of Richard's problem. They've got like four or five star running backs. Got like what? Every wide receiver on your roster is the uh, 10, 10 or 11 deep was like a, the 12th rated or higher player in their class. I mean, yeah. it's it, it's a great problem to have, but I also think it's making it difficult to kind of parse out who should be on the field since none of them have really separated themselves from this point, which in turn makes it way harder for us because we're working with even less information than a coaching staff does. We need some actionable information here, and I, I need to know if there are freshmen. Now, these guys are probably already drafted. 
So you would have to trade for them to acquire them. But are there freshmen here on Alabama's team that you would prioritize? I'm very high on Jamari and Miller. If if somebody has got cold feet on Jamari and Miller, I would acquire him. But what about Kobe Prentice, who's getting on the field? He's getting on the field, but he's really only on the field because JoJo Earl is hurt. Ty Simpson, Isaiah Bond, Aaron Anderson, Shaz Preston, Emmanuel Henderson, the second-ranked running back in the class, Kendrick Law, Matt Bruning. Are you prioritizing any of these guys? Are you trying to acquire any of them? Man, I don't know. I know that's not the answer you want to hear. (laughs) We were really high on Preston. Maybe if you could get him fairly cheap, I'd go after him. I know Alfred loves Kobe Prentice, so he's he's probably the obvious answer because he's actually been getting on the field. I don't think he's better than Preston, but, I mean, he's on the field. So that's got to mean something. Like, Saban's not just throwing him out there because he looks good in a uniform. So I, for me, it would still be Preston, and I think you could get him the cheapest because he hasn't been doing anything. But if I'm being honest, no. Like, I don't. I, I think – He's gone after these transfer portal wide receivers so hard the past couple of years. I'm a I'm very afraid to keep attacking these freshman wide receivers because I feel like they're not going to do anything for multiple years. We're seeing it again. Now, none of these guys outside of Prentice are doing anything. And Prentice had one good game last week, was okay. Today wasn't anything spectacular. So it's, it's really like, again, Preston, I guess, is my answer because he was highest rated for us. We all liked him, but I wouldn't feel great about it. We're probably going to have a Debbie debate show where we guessed the wide receivers who are going to transfer to Alabama next year. Well, not just the wide receivers, players in general. Jameer Gibbs is going to be there next year. I don't know if they're just going to turn the keys over to Jace McClellan or whomever. So that's going to be – we have we have to have that show. That's a good idea. Austin, any of these guys that you're actually prioritizing? Prioritize is a strong word. Uh, like Matt said, they're, they're hitting that transfer portal so hard because they can. It, it's an alluring spot. The one thing that I think is notable, and these things will shift, their recruiting class next year is not very heavy at the skill positions. They do bring in two quarterbacks, but I think we're not that worried about a, a quarterback issue moving forward. They've got some talented guys there already. And the guys that they are bringing in are all running backs. And we that, that backfield is very deep already. So but not a lot of wide receivers. They bring in uh, Malik, uh, what is it, Malik Benson, the, the, the Benson, Juco yeah. kid. Yeah. And then that's really it at the moment. Uh, there might be some guys to flip here later in the cycle and whatnot. But um, so it, it's not like there's – guys you point to in the future so unless they go heavy in the portal got to figure some of these guys get a shot we, we didn't talk at all about Corey brooks here did we i mean I, we talked about came, him in the rundown but he came in late in that game got some targets yeah. I, it's, it almost seems to me like saban with Corey brooks is like i'm waiting for you to do it right. i know you can do it yeah here's a moment go ahead and show me and he kind of did today it seems like they – I mean, he got inserted in the game when they needed the offense to move, and he was getting targeted when the – so, he, yes, he only had like three for 33 or something like that, but it was just like that Auburn game where they needed something to happen and they started targeting Ja'Cory Brooks. It was the same thing here. So, I mean, you know, you, if, if you have him, you're going to hold him. So, uh, all right. If you have this player, are you holding them? Tyler Buckner, Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman. I don't know if they are all toast. Uh, Tyler Buckner was 18 for 32, 201 yards, two interceptions, one a pick six. He missed Brendan uh, Lindsay for a, like, there was no, he could have punted the ball to him and it would have been a touchdown, overthrows him. He hadn't been great through two games, Austin. Yeah, I think I uh, I touch up my rankings every Saturday, Sunday during the season here. Uh, usually it's a couple spots here or there, like adding a name that I, I hadn't had before. 
Buckner was kind of the one of the, the first names this season where I just dropped him like 30 spots. And I don't feel that bad doing it. I didn't hate where I had him in before this season, which was top 10, just because we had seen just enough flashes to make you think that if he could put it together in this offensive coordinator and system could kind of highlight what he does best, that he could be really, really dangerous. But neither has really happened. This offense doesn't seem kind of like Bama. They're not in sync. This vaunted offensive line that is supposed to be like legendary at Notre yeah. Dame every year is not good this year. I, I don't know. I mean, Barnabas, is there a, a, a lot of like highly dra- like draftable guys on this line right now, or at least that are on your radar? It's It's bad. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame is always going to have those guys. Uh, like Jarrett Patterson's probably the main guy that's coming out this year. Um, and it's mostly like, it, you know, every team dra- likes to draft a Wisconsin lineman and a Notre Dame lineman. And that's just kind of the reason why he's there. I think he has that ideal build. So he's going to he's gonna play in the NFL. But uh, yeah, uh, I mean, p- teams have also really soured on Notre Dame linemen. But uh, in general, the, the bigger problem might be that uh, similar to Bryce, Bryce Young, Tyler Buckner, I don't think understands protections either. And I think that's a really underrated skill that people don't understand for fantasy as well, where quarterbacks, we all talk, always talk about how offensive linemen, offensive lines need to give quarterbacks time. But if the quarterbacks don't set the protections correctly, that offensive line is not in position to give them that time. So um, Buckner also, you know, we, we always knew that his arm talent was a little bit questionable um, and that his biggest value was as a runner. Um, and, you know, I want to love him more than anyone because, you know, he's Korean. But at the end of the day, like that arm talent just isn't there. And and he he I don't think he's helping himself with the line either. Yeah, I, I'm dropping him some, but I'm not dropping him 30 like Austin. I think my big thing with him is, hey, no, look, I've, I've no, we, we know you grade prospects harder than I do. I'm, I'm trying to be the nice guy. I try to, you know what? There's still a little bit of hope left for Buckner. Look, not everybody can be Quinn Ewers, right? Doesn't play for two years, just goes out there, dominates practically the best team in all of college football, unfortunately gets hurt. You know, I want to see a little bit more from Buckner. I'm not going to judge him too much on an Ohio State team that we have all talked about. Jim Knowles, right? Supposed to make that defense look really good. They looked good. The Marshall game, definitely concerning, but... I don't want to put too much stock in that. There's a lot of talk that they were kind of riding a kind of an emotional low after th- feeling like they could have beaten Ohio State. Then you go into a Marshall team, maybe you don't get up for. He's a young quarterback. Imagine I think the emotional low after you lose to Marshall. I put that more on Freeman, though, than I put that on Buckner. He's a young quarterback. Like, you've got to help develop him and make things easier for him. And I think one of the arguments for him, too, is – Outside of Lorenzo Styles and, and Michael Mayer is a great tight end, like he doesn't have great weapons either. Like we're asking a lot out of a kid, as we've all Barnum has just mentioned, doesn't really have the greatest arm talent as well. And now we're expecting to have him make his wide receivers better. So I'm likely going to drop him in my ranking some this weekend as well, but I'm not going to be out on him yet. I want to see what he does throughout the rest of the season, but it's not looking good. A Buck- loss to Marshall is bad. Buck- Buckner or Jaron Hall for you, Matt? Oh, God, I know, because I was watching that game. Jaron Hall threw a dime in the back of the end zone here just a couple minutes ago. (sighs) This is also Jaron Hall's second season starting. I mean, we've seen some development from him last year. We don't know what Tyler Buckner's development uh, trajectory is going to be. So, 
to to steal a line from my good friend Mike at Iowa Michael. He he, he quote tweeted Debbie debate. Big fan of Felix's. Unfortunately, his oh, Iowa Hawkeyes <laughs> lost today to Felix's Hunter Decker. Uh, I'm gonna take the reroll in Tyler Buckner if that makes sense. I don't think Jaron Hall is gonna get the first round draft capital that everybody thinks he does. I'll take the shot on Tyler Buckner and see if he can develop into that instead of taking Jaron Hall. Because at worst, Buckner maybe starts figuring it out, and even if it's just with his legs, I'm going to get a couple years of college production out of him. Jaron Hall's gone, gone after this year. I just I, I don't see the NFL future with Hall. Like I know I he's think, getting first. Round I don't buzz, think Hall but... has to be gone this year. He's, he's like 24, like but one. I don't think he has to be gone if he doesn't. He's gonna. He, uh, he probably could play like Brandon Weed until he's 28. I, I feel like he's probably only got Austin one more Nani, year, baby. But. I, I would just take the re-roll with Buckner. I think there's more time for him to develop. I, I like what Notre Dame has been building, especially in this recruiting class, the weapons that they're bringing in a Jaden Greathouse. Like he could turn it around in a year. So I, I would take that with Buckner bet on the bet on the upside. I just think there's more upside. I mean, Barnabas, you're the draft guy. Do you, is, do you see more upside with Buckner overhaul? I don't think either of them are, are playing in the NFL, frankly. <laughs> if I'm like perfectly honest with you, neither, neither of them are playing in the NFL. And, and, and that's fine. But And so in that sense, like, yeah, you get the extra year with Tyler Buckner. But here's the thing. Notre Dame's system, you know, like separation tool weapons are the ones that are the most quarterback friendly. And uh, while BYU doesn't have that, they can create that with their system. While Notre Dame almost actively goes against finding separation um and so like in some sense like the the potential is capped on both of them in terms of the the draft i don't think either of them are really at full quarterbacks but um yeah you get the extra year buckner so that's the most valid argument i can see from there if i'm mark marcus freeman if i'm tommy reese i don't know what they're doing with audric estime i'm going to put chris tyree on the field i'm going to get chris tyree in space with screens with swing routes that sort of thing, and and you got to get Lorenzo Styles involved in bubble screens. Um, do some things to boost Tyler Buckner's confidence early on. Maybe they have an Anthony Richardson game plan for him where very early on he's not throwing anything beyond uh, five yards d- down the field. I will say that I thought that arm strength would potentially be a problem for Tyler Buckner. Arm strength was not the problem. Like he can get the ball, he can make opposite hash throws. I was actually surprised to see that. Now he's staring down cornerbacks when he does that, but he has the a velocity to get the ball to the opposite hash. So let's just see if he develops. Let's go from one quarterback to another. Haynes King is trash, I, and I don't even I don't <laughs> like even saying that he is he is bad. This is a team that has expectations. Like we are now, we are this year's Georgia. We're going to go ahead and beat Alabama. We're going to go ahead and come out of the SEC. They there's they can't do they cannot do that with Haynes King at quarterback. Do you think that they make the change? They've got the LSU transfer Mac Johnson who who was competing for this job, and then they have the five star freshman in Connor Wegman. Austin, do you? What's the likelihood that Haynes King Haynes King comes out next game and he's the starter? Yeah, two monarchs down in one week. It feels like here a queen and a king. Um, and I know the theme. Heyo, I know the theme of the show here has kind of been NFL bloodlines. Um, Max Johnson, NFL bloodlines. His dad was Brad Johnson. His dad played quarterback really? for the Buccaneers. Yeah, you couldn't tell by his and the Vikings. Yeah, vanilla play style that his dad was yeah. Brad Johnson. How come? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, look, I don't think either of those quarterbacks can elevate an offense. And I don't think the skill positions there, at least not yet, give you give uh, a steward another year or two, give Chris Marshall another year or two, give whatever they're coming in next have coming in next year another year or two. 
uh, to kind of get together. Maybe you can say, well, the skill guys will make him better. You just have to kind of, you know, get the ball where it needs to go on time. I don't even know if they're quite at that point yet. I said all offseason. I think this Texas A&M team is a year or two away. And I think, like, no matter who they put a quarterback, I think they're going to struggle to move the ball consistently. The run game has not been what we thought it could be this year. Achain has flashed. He's had, he's had some nice carries, but it's been very mediocre competition. I would expect him to do that. Nobody else on the team has really stepped up. They don't have, you know, we want. They don't have a, a spiller on this team that can kind of run with Achain. They they just they for whatever reason none of the other guys on the team have stepped up yet to do that. No L.J. Johnson. No Armani um, uh, Daniels. No uh, Le'Veon Moss. None of these four five star guys have shown that. Is it a development problem? Is it a Jimbo problem? Is it they just haven't found the right guy yet problem? Could be a little bit of all three, but I don't I don't think making this change helps them. But I do think at some point you have to make the change just so it doesn't look like you're complacent with your quarterback throwing for 90 yards against App State and looking uh, less like, than 100 yards. That is just ridiculous. Against he, had, he, had, team. he had like 300 yards last week, but he wasn't good. That's a box. He was not good for scout. If you're looking at that game last week and saying he was good, he threw a couple really bad interceptions. He was shaky all game. He doesn't look like he has a grasp of this offense at all. Like, I, 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 I this Texas A&M is going to go eight and four again. Is what they're going to do. That's that's optimistic. You think it's worse than that? Seven and <laughs> six, five, less six and seven. Here's the thing: they don't need a quarterback that can elevate the offense. They just need one that doesn't actively hold them back, right? A lot of I think a part of the reason why the running game isn't doing anything is because. They're not scared of Haynes King. They're just going to load the box up with eight people and just say, okay, run. Like, you know, like one of these, you know? So uh, Haynes, like, I think I think you're right. I think they're just waiting for Connor Wegman to get comfortable enough with the offense that they can just, like, throw him in there. Um, but, yeah, I, I Listen, think it's all connected. We, we've got NIL. We've got player freedom. I think we just need to open up trading. They should. You should be able to trade Spencer Petraeus for Haynes King, and see that's, how it turns out. Everybody surprisingly, that's the one worst quarterback move that they could make is to go to. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that it is. I don't know that it is. All right, we're gonna maintain this quarterback theme here. Speaking of trading quarterbacks, who would you rather have? Barnabas, we'll start with you as your starting quarterback because you're our NFL draft guy. Will Levis or Anthony Richardson? Yeah, the this is like the fun question because when it comes down to it, um, a lot of a lot of analysts have been saying on Twitter and stuff, uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's that which quarterback is going to be more liked by uh, Twitter and which quarterback is going to be more liked by teams. And I think what it's going to come down to is that Levis is going to be liked way more by teams than he is going to be on the by Twitter scouts. And Anthony Richardson is going to have, you know, his biggest fans uh, out there, but it won't be on teams. Um, I would rather have Levis um, because of partially because what we just saw today was it was rough, right? Not that Will Levis looked good, but uh, part of uh, what was missing from his evaluation was we didn't know if he could throw deep because he was just dumping things down to Wandale and and praying that he gets yak. And, um, you know, if we're getting longer passes now, I think that really contributes to his evaluation. Yeah, really quick so we can get to this question. It's it's Levis for me, too, because he's a better passer. We've talked about this. It, that matters to these NFL teams. Uh, I don't – Richardson's got to continue to improve. I, he, he is 
marginally better. And I don't know that he is an NFL level level passer. I don't know that he's an NFL level athlete. And I also think that we may have seen his ceiling as far as his development. And also he's a weirdo. I mean, he just comes off as a weirdo. I don't know if that's going to fly in an NFL locker room when you're putting, putting mustard, mustard and ketchup in your coffee. Like that's just, so I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to wait and see with Anthony Richardson because we know he has NFL, NFL athleticism. Does he have an NFL processing ability? Does he have NFL uh, consistency in the past? In the as far as accuracy, we don't know that yet. Uh, but I think we've seen Will Levis's ceiling. Um, Nathan Ruffalo joins us, and he asks, "Any thoughts on Lance Leopold at Kansas? His two and zero start. Uh, they beat West, West Virginia fifty five uh, forty two in overtime today. Um, Austin Lance Leopold comes over from Boston. From Boston, he comes over from Buffalo." from Buffalo uh, and brings uh, his program to Kansas. Not only did he, he bring his uh, did not only did he come to Kansas, but I feel like four of five starting offensive linemen on Buffalo's team, came, you know, came over. They had a lot of transfers. It just shows how highly his, uh, his, his players regarded him. What's your take on what Lance Leopold is doing uh, there in Lawrence? Yeah, I, I think we talked. It was probably going to be a year or two before he was able to get that team kind of where he wanted. They might be half a year ahead of schedule or something like that. Kansas didn't really have any FBS-level athletes on the team. I think that's the big turnaround. Obviously, you know, brought over some of these guys from Buffalo. They're lucky enough to have Devin Neal grow up in their own backyard and snag him, a guy like Jalen Daniels, a quarterback. Uh, major upgrade over what they've had there over the past couple of years. Defensively, I think they've started to bring in a couple of guys as well. Like, no one that's an an obvious draft prospect or an obvious star, Kenny but Logan. like the, the, the difference in athleticism is, is stark. Like they, they look like they actually belong on the same field as a West Virginia or, uh, you know, uh, when they get in a, a heavier conference play here, I'm sure they'll look like they belong mostly on the same field as Texas or Oklahoma. I mean, they might not win those games, but I think consistently getting those games within a score, 10 points in the next year or two, I think is a big achievement for Kansas. And actually I've heard, Nebraska fans like praying for him to be the next guy up at Nebraska. That wouldn't be a bad hire because he won't he won't try to go to go there and do something sexy and and unattainable. I think he knows what to do to go in and kind of completely turn over a team that's kind of destitute and and turn them into something fairly quickly. I I think he could do that job. Sorry, sorry, Kansas fans. I don't want to pry him away from you already because I like him there. <laughs> You're muted, Felix. Definitely doing a good job uh, building a Kansas program that doesn't have a you know a great history of success there. So hats off to Kansas that's two and zero in Notre Dame that's zero and two. All right, let's move on here. We're gonna we gotta check in with some of the games that are on right now, Matthew. I hope that you're ready for that. I gave you some leeway time there. We normally check in with Kevin Coleman. Kevin Coleman is at a game today, but we still want to follow him. Go ahead and listen to the Debbie Royale with himself and Christian Williams and, and Jeff Bell on Tuesday nights. And you can follow Kevin at Du Bois underscore 2020 uh, at Du Bois underscore 22. You can follow Matt Bruning uh, at Sports Fanatic MB. And you can, of course, listen to him on the Debbie debate where he will get very emotional, very emotional at times on debate very passionate on that show i prefer passionate. matt sounds better. matt i think i want to start with baylor uh baylor byu um what 
is it looking? It looks it's looking like it's in the third quarter there. Yeah. Uh, BYU without its two starting receivers, but it's it's staying in there against a good Baylor team. Yeah, they're playing fairly good defense and trying to at least run the ball a lot. Quaylen Jones has actually gotten a, uh, more carries than Tate McWilliams, 32 yards and two Let touchdowns me, for him. It's, it's, no, it's uh, thir- 13-10 yeah. with eight minutes left in the third. Yeah. Uh, Blake Shapin has unfortunately not done much and has not looked good. Uh, Jaron Hall has really outclassed him in the passing side of things, uh, which hurts my start-sit decision this morning when I said sit Jaron Hall. He's already passed for almost 200 yards, sitting at 175, and had a beautiful touchdown in the back of the end zone. Uh, nice little toe touch by by Chase Roberts for that touchdown. So really good for BYU. It's so far from the parts that I've been able to catch has been a really good game. Uh, Bay, uh, BYU just got the ball back, and they have it on Baylor's 34-yard line. All right. Uh, Kevin Coleman is actually at Oregon State. There's no yeah. state. Uh, which is in the also in third. the third quarter. The third quarter just began. How are my fighting Jake Hayners looking? Uh, so not great. I actually thought they would uh, be beating up on Oregon State. I think as Oregon State is a team we may have underrated. We mentioned this recently that we don't pay as much attention to the Pac-12 as we should. Uh, now he's thrown for 106, uh, 76 yards, uh, twenty um, completions, twenty eight attempts. Mm-hmm. But no touchdowns here. Jordan Mims has gotten a touchdown on the ground. He's looked pretty good from the parts of the game that I was able to see. Uh, Chance Nolan, who's a quarterback that I've I really liked last year, thought he was going to continue to do good, really good last week. Just three for nine, thirty-three yards. Uh, he has <laughs> not looked good. It's really been the defense that is kind of carrying Oregon State over Fresno State right now. And then Silas Bolden uh, did get a rushing touchdown, one long carry, I believe it was for a little over thirty yards. So. Uh, defensive struggle, which I was not expecting. I thought this might be a nice little offensive shootout between these two teams, and it is not the case. Let's move on here to, uh, I think Michigan at Hawaii, or Hawaii at Michigan is still on because there was a significant rain delay. If you have one available, Jay Hayner. I do. It is over. It's over now. Jay Hayner was looking very good early on. I'm not exactly sure how he finished, but how did Michigan look statistically in that? Uh, so statistically, Jay, I, 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 I mean, J.J. McCarthy. J.J. McCarthy, yeah. J.J. McCarthy, listen, I'm all discombobulated. So J.J. McCarthy, 11 for 12, 229 yards and three touchdowns through the air, just at his 16 yards on the ground. I'm going to be honest, I expected more against Hawaii, but I think that'll be enough to solidify him the job, as Yumi and Mox talked about on Better Sports Radio this morning. Uh, Blake Corum, good day, 88 yards on the ground, one touchdown. Donovan Edwards kind of struggled in this one, just 26 yards. Uh, But Ronnie Bell had a good game, 76 yards through the air and a touchdown, uh, along with Cornelius Johnson, who also got a touchdown and 71 yards. You know, again, J.J. McCarthy, we were looking to see what he did. Uh, Austin St. Tay McWilliams for Baylor hurt. I did not know that, so thank you for pointing that out, Austin. Um, you know, again, only one incompletion. Granted, I know it's a bad a bad Hawaii team. That's still pretty impressive to only have one incompletion for a guy that we question sometimes what he what he's going to do passing the ball. Uh, overall, looks like a good game. He was put up 56 points on, on Hawaii. It was more than they were able to put up against Colorado State. I guess we'll see what this means for him moving forward if he ends up solidifying this job or not. We talk about player trajectories and stories. I mean, J.J. McCarthy came in as a very highly touted five-star, didn't get the starting job, didn't get the starting job, Was missed the spring due to injury, um, didn't get the starting job coming into fall camp. And now, you know, maybe we're going to see him start in his second season. 
maybe he can elevate that offense. I've talked a lot about how Jim Harbaugh needs J.J. McCarthy to play well and to play like a five-star, not like Shea Patterson, not like some of the other quarterbacks that they've had there at Michigan recently. Let's. I think that's it. Is that it as far as oh, uh, Mississippi State? Go ahead. We've got other games. Yeah, I mean – this one hurts. Uh, Will Rogers, if you started him in a lot of places like I have, he's killing you. 87 yards to the air, one touchdown, Mississippi one State, interception. Mississippi State at Arizona. Yeah, Arizona. It is 15 to 10, about to go into halftime. Uh, about two minutes left. Uh, Will Rogers and Mississippi State does have the ball. But again, 15 to 18 for 87 yards. Just not looking good. This whole team, like the leading receiver has 31 yards right now, and it's Rob Rod Thomas. It's just not looked impressive for Mississippi State. Maybe this is more of a shout out to Arizona and they really are turning this around. Uh, we hope that they'd be a good offensive team. I thought they played pretty good defense last week. So far, it looks like they're doing that here on the Arizona side of the ball. They're not doing much defense or offensively as well. Jaden Delora under a hundred yards as well, just 91 with an interception. Jacob cowing, just 17 yards. Um, Tatora McMillan has not registered a catch yet. Jonah Coleman, the freshman, just three yards on two carries. This has been a defensive struggle, which I, not ever expected to say between an Arizona Mississippi State game, but that's where we're at. All right, Matt, appreciate it, man. We will see you next week. All right, Austin, let's close out the show looking at storylines from next week. Uh, I don't know that there's the marquee game that we had, uh, the marquee game or games that we had this week, Georgia at South Carolina. <laughs> I think that we might see the end of Spencer Rattler as we consider him to be an NFL or Debbie potential asset. I think we're going to see, put that, that's going to be done after uh, uh, that game next week. He was really bad today. I actually watched a lot of that game. Um, his trademark is, is his arm throwing deep and he was just consistently missing by a ton deep. Um, you know, if he can't even do the kind of you know, that thing that he's supposed to be amazing at, um, I, they, they need to just rely on the run there and, a hope that that he can not cost them games. Yeah, it's bad. Georgia's Georgia's going to hang a forty burger on him pretty easily, I think. Uh, the second part of that home and home Penn State going to Auburn. We saw a huge game from Nick Singleton today, one hundred and seventy nine yards rushing. Drew Aller had two touchdown passes. Um, I don't know that we're going to see a lot of them against Auburn, but it is a game that I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Um... And Auburn didn't look great today. You know, they played San Jose State. They won by a score. Um, would it shock you if they went out last, next week, looked way better, and beat Penn State? It's kind of how Auburn's thing. But I also wouldn't be shocked if Penn State goes in there, uh, kind of establishes the run early. It's a slower-paced game. It ends up being like 25 to, to 15 or something like that. That kind of feels like the game that we're going to see uh, next week. Not a fun game, a sexy game, but a game that Penn State just goes in there and takes care of business. Uh, after a rough an initial outing, um, Devin Leary, quarterback at NC State, who some consider to be, you know, maybe a fringe or late, uh, late first round potential NFL draft pick. I don't know that that's the case. He's definitely going to be at the Senior Bowl. They take on Texas Tech at home, and I can't wait to see what the line is as far as the over under because this should be a high scoring fun affair. Donovan Smith saw a really tough front seven today for, from Houston, and I think he ultimately, I would call him, I would say he passed the test today. You know. Not his best game, but it was certainly wasn't bad. A similar matchup next week, but he's got a week where he, he just coming off a very similar kind of experience. This is kind of the game that you would have wanted to warm up uh, for for NC State. I can see Texas Tech 
pulling this one out. Um, I, I really do think they're going to give this this NC State team trouble. And NC State hasn't looked that convincing no. this year. They, they really no. haven't. I thought they'd look much better. They haven't. Michigan State looked convincing today against a Leicester opponent. They traveled to Washington with Kalen DeBoer, with Michael Penix Jr., with your boys, Austin, Romeo, Adunze, and Jalen McMillan. Yeah, I'm actually really excited for this one. I'm glad you put this one on the list. It's very different kind of stylistic absolutely uh, uh, teams here, kind of like we got with Washington State, Wisconsin, not quite on that 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 differential level. But um, I, I Michigan State, they're going to have to run the ball effectively in this game and control clock. That's what they're going to have to do. I don't think you can trust um, um, uh, what's their quarterback's name. I, I'm totally blanking to like win a game for you, especially at this level of of opponent. I just don't think you can do that. I keep wanting to say Hauser. I know that's not who it is. That's the freshman backup. Um, that's, the, but... that's the freshman backup. Yeah, I, I'm I'm blanking on it too. Um, anyway, uh, maybe the best game. Maybe the best game. If Texas A&M hadn't lost uh, today, this would easily be the best game. But Miami undefeated at Texas A&M. You know, we're going to see Tyler Van Dyke on a big stage. Yeah. Um, Miami looked really bad first half. Cleaned it up second half. I don't think they're going to be able to move the ball that well in this game because they they really I mean they played Southern Miss it's not a a, a potent defense there but A and M like would it shock you if Haynes King goes for under 125 150 pass yards again it wouldn't shock me at all it just wouldn't and this is the kind of game though where I think you would see a switch at halftime if things aren't going well this this is the kind of opponent where you just say you know shot in the arm let's try something different here so um, if you're a Texas A&M fan, maybe you're hoping they're down by like 10 at halftime and you get to see Max Johnson come out in the second half. That Maybe that's your hope. Well, we will be there to see it and to track it all. Um, pay attention to Campus to Canton on Twitter so you can see who the player of the week is. 179 yards is going to be tough to beat for Nick Singleton as Campus to Canton's freshman of the week, but we got to figure out who the player of the week is going to be. And shout out to Darian Chafin of Incarnate Ward, who had seven receptions, 262 yards, and two touchdowns against Nevada today. All right? Good night. One other, one other game I want you to pick real quick, Felix. Did he? I think he shut it off. Maybe. No, no, I didn't. I didn't end it. Which, Duquesne, that would have been the perfect ending, but go ahead. Duquesne, Hawaii. Pick this game, and then we get to go home. Uh, I'm both these teams Duquesne. are terrible. Yeah, where, where is it? Where is it? Where is it going to be played? It's at Hawaii. You can't get a free trip to Hawaii, and they probably get to beat them. I think. I mean, I want to see the line on that one. Uh, I'm taking Duquesne. There we go. Say night, Austin. Good night, everybody. <laughs>